receiving, accepting our God-given roles. Husbands have God-given roles. Wives have a God-given role. Young people, you have a God-given role. This morning in the main service, we continue with that same thought in 2 Kings chapter 13. And the title this morning is, What Happened to Elisha's Successor? What happened to Elisha's successor? I want to begin by reading a very strange story. It's two verses in the Bible. Very unusual. And the question is, why is it there? I think by the end of the message, we'll have a clear answer. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse number 20 and 21. 2 Kings 13, verses 20 and 21. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Bites invaded the land at the coming in of the year, and it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, that would be the invading Moabites. They cast the man, that's the guy who just had his funeral, into the sepulcher of Elisha. When the man was let down, that's the dead man, and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived. And stood up on his feet. Why is that story in the Bible? Very unusual. It's a miracle. Dead bones in a sepulcher. This red glory of Elijah. To Elijah. Read it again if you would. It's just the first six or seven words of verse 20. And Elisha died and they buried him. Six words. There's the whole story of Elisha's home going. Does anyone happen to remember how Elijah went home to heaven? Chariots of fire and a whirlwind catching him up. The chariot of fire sweeps down, separates Elijah from Elisha. And then Elijah is caught up, this old prophet of God, caught up in a whirlwind to heaven. Well, I'd like you to see it. You see, it's 2 Kings chapter 2. It's not far back. 11 chapters, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now remember, Elijah is the older prophet. Elisha is younger. He is the the successor to the prophet, somewhat, you might say the heir apparent. He's going to pick up after the older man, Elijah, is gone. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And Elijah said unto Elisha, that's the young man saying to the older prophet, Terry here, I pray thee. I'm sorry, I got it turned around. Older man saying to the young man, Elisha, Terry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel, And Elisha, the younger prophet, said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they, they, plural, went down to Bethel. Now several times here, the older prophet tries to get Elisha to stay back. back. And Elisha will not leave the older prophet. This goes back to 15 years earlier. Elijah has been threatened by Jezebel that his head's going to be taken off. And so Elijah runs down into southern Israel and beyond that, down into Sinai and Horeb and 
And God encourages Elijah and says, now I want you to go, I want to point out who your successor is going to be. And you start teaching him, training him. Mentorship. And so, 15 years before this, when Elijah is taken away, you have this older man who comes to a family farm, takes off his coat, his mantle, casts it on the back of a farm boy who's plowing with oxen in a field. A country fella. Young man that's going to eventually take Elijah's place. For now, he's just going to be Elijah's servant. And now here he is 15 years later and he says, I'm staying with you till the last second. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving you. You're stuck with me. You know, I'm miss when you get taken home. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6. Would you look at verse 6? And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here. Now, he's already said that in verse 2. For the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Go to verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together in small waters. That's the older prophet did that. And they were divided hither and thither like, like the Red Sea. So that they, interesting, they're, they're still together, aren't they? They, too, went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over, the Bible's really being clear about this, that Elijah, the older, said unto Elijah, Ask what I shall do for thee. Behold, I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Stay with me till God takes me. Your request is answered. If you don't, it's not. Verse 11, And it came to pass, as they, still together, still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. This isn't normal. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Talk about, I'd love to have seen that happen. I'd love to have seen that exit into glory. Verse 12, And Elisha saw it. Isn't that wonderful that it just says that right out? Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father. This is the the, the one, his spiritual mentor. The chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. What's he saying? You're the military strength of Israel. It's not by might nor my power, but it's it's by walking in the ways of God. And it says, And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He's, he's mourning. He's not going to see Elisha. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. I picture it. He has Elijah, the older man's mantle that's left behind his robe, his coat. In verse 14, the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is God of Elijah. When he had, all, had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha, the young man, went over. When God took Elijah, 
there was a young man there to pick up the mantle. There's a lot of churches, there's there's no young man there to pick up the mantle when the old man of God goes on. You know, there's a lot of dads who teach boys and girls in their family and the boys and girls don't pick up the mantle. When God took Elijah, the power of God that rested on Elijah was transferred to the younger Elisha, the prophet, who'd been with him 15 years. The mantle was left for the next prophet who took the same mantle, smacked the same water, in the same way, and it parted the same way. The God of Elijah is the God of Elisha. In other words, the ministry carried on. He refused to leave the prophet's side. He refused to turn his back on his calling. He refused to be talked out of being there. When the time came, the mantle was passed on. Now, Elisha was there at the home going, wasn't he? Of his mentor, Elijah. Well, no, today is not a time when I'm passing on a mantle. But I want us to see something that's so important, and that is preparing to pick up the mantle. His successor. You see, Elisha, what did he ask for? Ask me what that I should give you. What was it that Elisha asked for? Double portion of his spirit. Why? Is that a proud thing? Whatever you did, I want to do double. No, not at all. It wasn't a proud thing at all. In fact, if you look at the history of the nation, you can see it's getting worse and worse and worse. I believe that this isn't a proud request, but a necessary power to meet the condition of God's people. He's... He's watching God's people's interest in God declining. By the way, did Elijah see that in his day? The Baal worship up on Mount Carmel? Elisha's seen it too. And he sees the worsening condition of God's people. And I think he looked at it and said, if I'm going to be the next one, I'm going to need the power of God to meet the task. I need a double portion. Elisha takes up the mantle. It's Elisha's turn. Now, God gave Elijah, the older man, a servant, didn't he? Elisha. Did you know God gave Elisha a servant too? A young man also. Would you go a couple chapters over? It's the Second Kings chapter four. Second Kings chapter four. I'd like you to see the appearance of a man in the Word of God in Second Kings chapter four, verse eight. And it fell on a day. It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. She constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, this is Elisha, the younger prophet. He turned in thither to eat bread, and she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let's make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us, he shall turn in thither, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there, and he said to 
Oh, look at those words. Gehazi, his servant. Elijah, the older prophet, had a servant named Elisha, but Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. Would, would everyone just say the name? It's an unusual name. Uh, any of you know someone named Gehazi? I didn't think so. Let's all say Gehazi. Gehazi. Very unusual, isn't it? So he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Very perceptive woman. Great woman of God. Sometimes a little faster, a little sharper than men. She gets it quicker. She says it would really be nice if we... She uses the she uses the generic we would build a house a part onto the house. We call that the royal we, talking of he. Should build on and, and we'll be a blessing and we'll just give him a cot and a and a stool and, and something a place to stay and and he'll stay with us and perhaps that'll be a help. And but what I want you to see is that Elisha had a servant. My question is, what happened to Elisha's successor? Elijah had a servant. Here's Elisha's successor, his servant. Gehazi. God had given him to Elisha as he had given Elisha to Elijah. Later on, you read in chapter 4, verse 18 and following, that the woman's child dies. When the child dies, you have her going to the prophet, wanting... Why did you give? You have to. I didn't. I kind of skip part of the story. Elisha, he says, "What can we do? One who's helped us, Gehazi." And Gehazi, very quick, says, "My master hasn't even noticed, but he's a very, very perceptive servant. Um, she's childless. She aches over the desire to have a son or a daughter, and that would be her prayer." And Elisha says, "Okay." Goes to God. God provides a child. God gives a child naturally to this woman in answer prayer. When the child dies, she comes to Elisha and basically says in chapter 4, why did you give me a son just to have him die? And Elisha says to Gehazi, I want you to take my staff and run. Don't stop and talk to anybody on the way. If anyone addresses you, don't even answer them. Take my staff and put it on the boy's head, right on his face, and just lay it there that he'll be healed. And Gehazi runs. He's a younger man. Servant out to me! I am the captain of the host! Yeah, and I've got a message for you. Go dip in the muddy Jordan River. You'll be fine. I was expecting lightning and thunder. I was expecting to take your hand and wave it over me! And I was made whole... And you give me the muddy water treatment? There's cleaner waters than the, than the Jordan back in Syria. I'm not doing it. And his servant's talking to it. If he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? Can't do this. He goes. He obeys. Healed. He comes back. And in chapter 5, I want you to see verse 20. Because offers Elisha wealth and riches and garments. He says, I'm a rich man. I'm going to make you rich. I pay my debts. Elisha turns all that money down. Elisha 
And no, it's not even for be able to get to people who like twenty. And he said unto him, Went not my look very closely at verse twenty six. He said, The man turned again from his chariot to meet thee. Elisha knows what happened. Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments? Let me ask you, did he receive money and garments? Yes, yes. Gehazi did. But then he goes on and says, And yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants. Now, wait a second. Did he bring home olive yards? Did he bring home vineyards? Did he bring home sheep? Did he bring home people that would be his personal servants from now on? No. Well, then what's Elisha saying? He's saying, I know what's in your heart, Gehazi. Did you know that? I followed all. I followed after the Lord. He says, I took those oxen that I was plowing, I slaughtered them and sacrificed them. And I burnt my yoke as part of the sacrifice. I turned my back on all that to serve the Lord. And when the mantle came to me, the power of God came to me. And he's saying to him, you've had a front row seat seeing the mighty hand of God. But there is a price and you're more interested in what you can get from this world. You want stuff. He'd been a, Gehazi had been overtaken with materialism. And this is a great danger today for us. We are in the land of opportunity and riches and wealth and pleasure. We are in the land where you can save up your money and go to Six Flags and Disney World and Water World and all these places. And I want to remind you of something. That when you're in the stores and you look around and it it pulls at you, I want this and I want that. If you're more interested in what you can get from the world and the stuff you can have, then in your walk with God, you're a Gehazi. My question is, what happened to Elisha's servant? What happened to Elijah's, Elisha's successor? You've seen the decision that he made. Let's look at the consequence. Because what he's saying here is, someone has to catch my mantle one of these days, but it'll cost you. God's not going to give his power to a liar. God's not going to give His power to someone who wants to keep up with the world. God is not going to use the young man, the young lady who is caught up in this life. He's going to have to be caught up in God. The mantle's not going to fall to a sneak. Like like Achan hiding stuff in his tent. Like, Like Gehazi was hiding stuff. The decision and second, the consequence. Of, Achan's, of Gehazi's terrible decision. Verse 27. Look at chapter 5, verse 27. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee. 
Look at the next four words. And unto thy seed forever. And he went out from the presence, a leper, his presence, a leper as white as snow. Do you know you're not just turning your back on God when you just cleave to the things of this world and you're caught up in making money or getting stuff or more of this or enriched in this and that becomes the goal of your life? It's not just turning your back on God. It's a decision that affects more than just you. It'll cleave to the end of thy seed. In Pensacola, I had an opportunity to train underneath Pastor Shetler, and I love Pastor Shetler. When I had an opportunity to go to a small church off campus and work under Pastor Jerry Manley, I jumped at the opportunity. Pastor Manley was known as someone who, who most of the college guys did not want to have any part with because he was mean. He was rough. And when you preached, he ripped you apart. I am dumb and I want I need help. And I watched them serve God, and I really feel like there's a mantle that's passed and a burden. And I look at our families and I believe there's a burden on every dad to see to it that sons and daughters follow God. There should be. There's a prayer burden. There's a heavy mantle that comes with children. Some of you have young children. Isn't there a burden that comes on you when you see that little one? Isn't there a weight? Isn't it when you see what God's giving you, you say, oh God, I don't want my kids to start at zero. I want them to start on my shoulders and go forward. I want, them to, I want them to pick up the mantle. Maybe they're not in my profession, what God's called me to. But Lord, I want them wherever they're called to. I want them to, to pick up the mantle of godliness and go on. A lot of my heroes are old men. Some of them are gone. Some of you have seen... A lot of the old-time preachers that I didn't even get to see. You've seen some of the B.R. Lakin, John R. Rice. You've seen some of these old men who were, I mean, they, they were fiery for God. They're real. But there's Gehazi's in every generation who don't pick up a mantle. Who don't stick with the older faithful men of God. I want to challenge you. Stick with those who are walking with God. If God calls you to preach, preach from the same. The verse, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. Here's the word. And he went out from his presence. He went out from his presence. Now, that what some parents. Many parents fear my children will leave the ways of God. He went out of his presence a leper as white as snow. Elisha goes over, picks up an old mantle from his predecessor, picks up the older prophet Elijah's mantle, and he holds it up and puts it in his hands and says, God, I still have it, but there's no one to give it to And he looks down the road and he sees Gehazi walking away carrying a bunch of stuff. 
caught up in the stuff, the world stuff. And Elisha looks down and says, God, the stuff was more important than the mantle. Lord, it didn't work out. Could you send me another servant? And God did. God did. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 in your Bibles. Here come the Syrians. This is the same ones who gave Gehazi all that stuff. That's Naaman, the former leper's crowd. They surround Elisha. Give us your prophet of God. Give, give Elisha us in chains. We're going to... Because he keeps telling our secret battle plans to your king. Remember that? It's like you've got someone right in our secret, serious, confidential, no-go zone. Prophets reporting our, our movements to the king of Israel. We're going to kill him. And it, chapter 6, verse 13, And he, the king of Syria, said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Verse 15, 2 Kings six fifteen. When the servant of the man of God... Oh, did you... Whoa, read that again. The servant of the... Praise the Lord, Elisha wasn't left alone. God sent another servant. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host come to the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servants said to him, Alas, my master, talking to Elisha, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his, that's his servant, that's his successor's eyes that he may see, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and saw, and behold, the mountain was filled up. What was the servant? It was Gehazi. This is servant number two. Servant number two's name. This one, I'm going to know. It's just the servant. This this young man. Not mentioned again. And by chapter 13, which is where Elisha died and he was buried. He's gone. He's long gone. You know what? I'm not always going to be young. You guys aren't always going to be young out there. And I want to ask you... Young people, stop looking at the world. Stop going after the stuff. Somebody's got to take the place of these men out here. I don't mean to give it to you men too hard, but some of you are... Why are you always talking about till he dumps... You want to look at people and just the little died. It's not even it's a verse. Do you ever know about what You know what's all about? It's a thing of a man. You won't get what you asked for. The whole story. You know why we have the story of the chariot of fire and the whirlwind? Because there was a young man 
who was waiting for the mantle. Do you know why Elisha's... By the way, Elisha had the double portion. Do you know why his obituary was? He died and they buried him. It's because his mantle was buried with him. It's because his power that rested on Elisha stayed in a sepulcher. You know how you know that? Because Israel's at war. They're losing. They're running for their lives. And a dead body's put down the ground. That God's way gets in the way of your dreams. And so you won't surrender to God. I know I ought to give my life to God, but I've got desires and plans and I'm going to make money. And church gets in the way of that. I know. I can see it in your eyes. I can hear it in your words. I can hear what your life's about by the way you talk. It's not about God. I'm not trying to be mean this morning. I'm trying to call forth some successors to Elijah. But there's a choice. Gehazi made a choice. And there were consequences. Can you hear Elijah praying, Lord, would you give me another servant? I'm asking you. By the way, Gehazi, when he failed to raise a little boy from the dead. By the way, did Jesus' disciples ever fail to do something like that. And they came back to their master. And they said, why couldn't we do what you did? And he said, because this kind goeth not forth but by prayer and fasting. Gehazi didn't have the hunger for the heart and power of God. Gehazi should have walked right back up there and said, Elisha, I had your staff. I didn't have your power. Why? But he didn't. There wasn't a hunger for it. There wasn't a heart for it. You know, we have... My kids were talking to me about when I traveled for Pensacola for a few years, and I was the leader of an ensemble. And um, I only got the job because the guy who had it before me stole money from the college. They needed someone on the spot, and so they said, we need to train somebody fast. And I was Mr. Sellers. I, I taught Sunday school in his class for him, and he said, well, we'll... We'll try to work with Joe. So I became the leader of an ensemble. I traveled, and my kids we were talking about who traveled with you, who is your bass, who is your tenor, where are they? And I said, well, my, my bass was Jim Barnes. Where is he today? He's a pastor in, in, in South Carolina. What about, your, what about your tenor? Well, in Carpenter. Where's he today? He's a pastor. Who else traveled with you? Nathan Jones did. Where's he today? He's a missionary up in the far, far north of Canada, serving the Lord where there's almost nobody up there except him and the Indians. Did they all go to ministry? No. You know, the story's in the Bible for a reason. It's about the passing on of the mantle. 
I want to tell you there's reasons why our church is the way it is. When we first came here, uh, the, the, the church was very small, very small. And I, I told people after a little while, if you're waiting for us to get big so we can have all the accessories to be contemporary, that's just not the direction we're going. We're always going to be simple. Bible preaching, hymns. And, and, and when I said that, we had a couple families leave. They were expecting when we got bigger that we, were just, we just weren't contemporary because we weren't able to yet. And I, I want to tell you a little bit about our church. There's reasons things are the way they are. There's reasons why we, we don't look at the world and tell our children the world a lot to offer you. Rebecca and I don't ever look at each other and say, I'm so sorry for our children. The world has so much to offer. We don't even talk about whether we should have more games, bigger activities. Some of you younger are like, bigger activities, we hardly have any activities. Yeah, right. There's, you're, you're getting it. The world does not have so much to offer. Yes, but if we can give them games, we'll be able to keep them. Are you serious? The world's games will always be wilder and funner. If we could just have, have more toys for these, if we could take them on the best vacation so we could prove to our children that, that we can serve God and we can go on the biggest vacation just like the world. Is that what life's about? Are you serious? If we don't, we'll lose them. No, you'll lose them if they don't walk with God. I want my, I want my children to have lots of friends. Listen, I'd rather have one son who stands alone in Babylon and goes to the lion's den than have a son who has 120 friends in Babylon and they all bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol. Well, if we could be, if we could have all these friends, life isn't about having lots of friends. It's about walking with God no matter who's beside you. It's not about friends. You have, you have fallen for the Facebook fraud. Well, I have all these friends. No, you don't. It's a number on a screen. Pastor, the world has so much to offer. I'm so afraid they're going to go out for the fun and what the world has to offer. Now, wait a minute. Think with me biblically. The world has so much to offer, does it? Do you believe that? Doesn't the Bible say that if a man would gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what would he profited? Biblically speaking, does the world have that much to offer your children? Oh, but when they drink, they're going to have a real buzz. Yeah, they're going to end up with cancer in a hospital. That's not in the commercial. See, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The world's nothing to offer our children. It's a shame. I ask. Just the difference between a sports enthusiast, the God enthusiast who works out to be strong to serve the Lord and doesn't go overboard. This. You see the difference between a Gehazi and an Elisha? This is, we're not going to try to keep up with the world. 
What the world has to offer is empty. Moms and dads, we don't need to look at the world and say, I'm so scared I'm going to lose my kids to the world. We need to pull back the curtain on the world. Pull back the curtain. Show them what it's really like. Tell them it does not satisfy. Take away their blinders that the world's put on them, that the world's little, little, pretty little bubbles are all going to burst. And what the young people need is to be trained in the Word of God. Trained by mom and dad. Because that God all will communicate with them and, they can talk and God, God will walk with them. That's what will keep them. Not the games. I can't get games big enough week to week to build a code. But he'll come to hear from God. The Word of God will always satisfy. What the world is to lose its hammer when young people get a heart for God. For bigger worldly stuff. 2 Kings 8, verse 4. King calls Gehazi and says, Tell me the story of what you saw in the old prophet Elisha. And 2 Kings 8. Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. Because I want I want to I think in his face. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved the joy in Paul's heart when he writes that. If young people, you go to camp. Our church sets aside money so you can earn your way to camp. You know why we send you to camp? I know, I'm glad you have sports there. That's fine, that's good. We send you to camp so you'll hear from God. And you'll make decisions that keep you from being a Gehazi. We send you to camp so that, you'll, so that you'll be able to hear Dr. Bill Rice preach. So you'll be able to hear these men of God. So that you'll make decisions. But you're back now. And I'm going to ask you, are you back at your secret sins? Are you back the way you were before? Are you tapped back into the old technology trash? Are you are you back at again again talking back to your folks? Where is all this going if it falls hands on take the power? Can't ask you. Is it gonna be was buried in the buried captivity I've watched my teacher, Dr. Dell Johnson, exhaust himself. I saw him spend years on the book of Acts. My parents came home from his Sunday school class at Pensacola and reveled in what they'd learned in the book of Acts. I knew, we all knew the time he'd put into that and his teaching on the college level was had to be exhausting. And I asked, where are those who will not get up off their knees? Where are those who are just going to stay until God has me? You realize, prayer is mostly getting ourselves where we're supposed to be. It's getting my heart aligned with God so that I know what God wants done so I ask Him to accomplish His will. Where are the young ladies who, who are not content to live on the sidelines spiritually while the work of God is going on? We need, we need servants. And it's, you're going to have to decide to sacrifice, turn your back on the world. In other words, burn the plow. Kill the oxen. 
and decide you're not going back. You say, I don't know, God's called me to ministry. That's not even what we're talking about. The mantle of godliness has to be passed on. We need young people to commit to it today and say, my parents, if your parents are walking with God, I'm committed to pick up the mantle. We need parents to say, I'm not going to try to win them with games and stuff and try to keep them by bigger and better. I'm going to focus on a walk with God. And I ask, are there young people who would say, you know what, I want to pick up the mantle. Heads bowed, eyes closed.